0: Today, we talk with Adrian Boafo, a delegate in the Maryland State House and former Mayor Pro Tem of Bowie, Maryland. He's been focused on policy issues ranging from climate change and the environment, economic justice, college mental health, and easing medical debt. We talk about what makes Prince George's County a remarkable place for economic opportunity and political innovation. Adrian also shares his advice for running and winning Upstart campaigns. Enjoy! Maryland Delegate Adrian Boafo, welcome to an honorable profession. I can't wait to be talking to you today.
1: Yeah, well, Ryan, it's good to be with you.
0: So why don't we get started with asking how things are going in Maryland, how things are wrapping up with the legislative session, what you're seeing on the ground, and what people need to know about your state.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a new day in Maryland, actually. We, uh, a few months ago, made a decision to vote in a new governor, right, whose motto is to leave nobody behind, Wes Moore. We voted in a new comptroller who really wants to shake things up and help working families. We've we've elected a new attorney general who also wants to make sure that working families are being protected through the law. And then we have a really expanded Democratic majority in the General Assembly. So we, we wrapped up session in April. And things have been good. We've we've gotten a lot of stuff done, from accelerating minimum wage with the fight for uh, fifteen, to ensuring that we're protecting uh, folks through concealed carry, right. So we we've done some amazing stuff this past session, and honestly, I'm excited and ready to go back.
0: That is fantastic. And yeah, I mean Maryland, sort of surprisingly, I guess for those of us outside the state, had a Republican governor for many years. So tell me, how did this session feel different and what are you hearing on the ground about what it's, what it's like when you have a party able to move its agenda through the legislature?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I was on the city council when Governor Hogan for most of his term in office, right? So our relationship with the governor through that lens was a little different than being in the legislature. So I only really spent about a week in office with the Hogan administration. It sounds like, you know, it was combative, right? The, the good thing is that we had a veto-proof majority in both the House and the Senate, so we could get things done that we needed to get done. But it seems like there was a combative relationship with the governor. And that's not the case, right? Our party really rallied behind Moore right after the primary, no matter what side you were on, because we had this MAGA extreme candidate in Dan Cox. And so... We have this unique relationship in the legislature where folks are not afraid to tell the administration where they stand on things, right? We have a big tent party in Maryland. I often say Maryland is America in miniature, right? You have the rural Democrats, you have super progressive Democrats, you have moderate Democrats, uh, you have Democrats really representing all different parts of the state. And so uh, the governor gets that, right? His team also gets that. And there's just a lot of synergy in Annapolis right now, especially with our presiding officers as well.
0: So, as you mentioned, you came from Bowie, Maryland, where you were a city council member and then mayor pro tem. Can you talk a little bit about your path into public service and what made you take the jump from the local level to the state?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really wacky path, actually. You know, I grew up here in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is you know the the most affluent African American county in the country. It is a place that my parents uh, really thought that they could raise some kids and thought it was going to be a great place for us to thrive. Uh, My parents are immigrants from Ghana, West Africa, uh, who came to this country in their teens as well and studied in the surrounding area. So growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Most of my family was in the medical profession or in the IT business and in tech and emerging technologies. And I wasn't good at either of those. (laughs) So frankly, (laughs) I had to figure out what I was going to do. And Prince George's County really built its wealth through folks working long and successful jobs in the government, right? That's really how a lot of our folks built their wealth here in Prince George's. So I kind of, you know, said, you know, I guess I'll go to school and and work in the government and, and just do government and public policy. And my dad was a huge Clinton Democrat, a really early Obama supporter in like 06, right? Before he even announced, right? He just was a super progressive Democrat and he was really focused on politics. And, and that's what kind of got my interest in government and public policy. And then I got involved in in college, became a student leader, became president of the University of Baltimore, the first African-American president of that institution in our state during the height of the Freddie Gray movement, right? So a really tough time for Baltimore City, a really tough time for the state, but also a really tough time for the country as the Black Lives Matter movement was, was emerging. And it was there where I realized, especially working with local and state officials, it really does matter who sits in the seats of government. Right, the people that you have working day in and day out, their beliefs, their ability to work with others, right, their ability to to focus on the issues in front of them—that's what really mattered day in and day out. And so, I decided to go work on Capitol Hill, right, and worked for Javier Becerra when he was chairman of the Democratic Caucus before he became Attorney General in California, and got to see honestly a real, tremendous leader up close. And those two to three experiences really kind of defined. I wanted to do. It was when I got to work for Javi Becerra it's when I realized actually I want to be in elected office, right? I want to be part of the conversation. I want to be the person in the back room helping working families progress in our country. And then I I got to come back home and work for Congressman Steny Hoyer. And it was through through him and through others that I was encouraged to run for a city council seat here in uh, Bowie, Maryland. And it was quite literally the most upstart (laughs) campaign that I've ever been a part of right I, I had a weird last name that no one really knew i was relatively new to the political space when it came to maryland and the district had an incumbent who was running and they had a few other folks who was running there was a guy who was supported by quite literally every single local official and had more money than i did all right i was in grad school at the time but we ran a really upstart campaign and and won by 76 votes and then elevated to to mayor pro tem i think what led me to running for the state office was was the COVID pandemic right when you're in local government local government really is the government closest to the people right so when it comes to potholes when it comes to trash pickup you're gonna know if you're doing a good job day in and day out right because your constituents are in
0: they're gonna tell you very clearly when they believe you're not doing a good job
1: yes very much so right (laughs) you're gonna know how you're doing instantaneously But what we realized is that municipalities really needed some champions on the state and federal level. And that's kind of what motivated me to run for state office. It was the inequities that we saw. A lot of the stuff is state driven, right? And so making sure that we had a new generation of leadership in Annapolis and then ran another upstart campaign, right? My campaign was not supported by our state senator at the time and a host of other elected officials in the area we, we kind of just had to run a, another grassroots campaign and and luckily we we're able to be successful.
0: Tell me about those campaigns. Cause I think a lot of folks think about running, they go talk to an established person. The established person has another candidate they want and they sort of give up. Talk about running that, an upstart campaign and, and how you ended up being successful in that effort.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope I don't have to do it again because it is <laughs> quite stressful, but the thing that I realized is that these seats of power, these seats of elected office, they're not owned by any person, right? These are the people's seat. And anyone has the right to run for them. It's not really a coordination, it's a competition. And once you realize that, even if there is a preferred candidate in the race, it's still worth getting your ideas out there, right? We've seen this in, in national elections as well. I felt really comfortable running in my races just because I came from campaigns, right? I I was a field director for many years and really was involved in grassroots activity. I ran Mr. Hoyer's campaign as well, right? So I I understood the mechanics of campaign. So putting it together wasn't the hard part. I think the nerve-wracking part was putting your ideas out there, right? And seeing if people actually believed in them or if they said, you know, actually, we want to go in a different direction. And that's something that's always nerve-wracking and it really doesn't get new, right? That doesn't change over time. It's just something that folks have to deal with. I think anyone who wants to run for office, especially if you believe you have a vision that's going to help working families in your community, you do it, right? My first campaign was me and my four friends. We spent a lot of time knocking doors and calling voters and explaining to them what this new generation of leadership would mean for our community.
0: So tell me about some of those issues that you floated and and were excited about. I mean, I know you've led efforts on mental health and workers' comp. Tell me the issues that sort of animate your service.
1: Yeah, I I am really big on making sure that our middle-class folks and our folks who are also in poverty are first, A, lifted out of poverty, but then that everyone has economic security, right? And there are so many new emerging industries in which we can tap into and make sure that people have the skills for tomorrow. And oftentimes government isn't working with business to make that happen, right? And so that's kind of the central theme of everything that I do. Also very passionate, as you mentioned, on on mental health and college mental health in particular, right? I, I sponsored a bill this year that was passed by both the House and Senate and signed into law by Governor Moore, which would essentially say, look, if you go to college at the University of Maryland or you go to college in St. Mary's County, right? It doesn't matter where you go, but mental health services should be uniform, right? And that if you're an on-campus student, you're a virtual student, or you're someone living on campus, you should have access to the same mental health services no matter where you go to college in the state. So we're making some tremendous progress on that as well.
0: And tell me about the issues that maybe uh, you weren't able to get through this session, but you're gonna try to get in the next session.
1: Like what's your focus? Yeah, I took an interesting approach to session. I only did two bills. One was about both mental health focused, one on on the college side, the other specifically about ensuring that we had mental health professionals in the workers' comp process, right? And I did that on purpose. I understood coming from local government, the city council, it was a different skill set in being in a legislative body, right? I was two of seven, right? And, you know, number two. In the command on the city council, but there were only seven of us, right? So, getting your ideas through was a lot easier. In the general assembly, there's 141 of us. So, I I really spent these these last 90 days trying to learn the building, learn my committee, learn really what we had oversight over in the House Economic Matters as well. I'm looking forward to next session. We're actually as a staff and as a team, we're we're putting together kind of this what we're calling a policy think tank for the next three months and. And talking to our local and national partners about what we can really do as we come back in Annapolis. And some of those things revolve around expanding the mental health conversation in colleges, right? Holding big tech accountable. Our committee on house economic matters, that's one of the things that we're focused on, right? Medical debt. There are so many families, and I hear this day in and day out in my district, so many families who are being affected by medical debt. And the state has a role, especially in the absence of the federal government, to do something about that. And, and how are we going to handle that? And and trying to figure out how we, again, in, in the absence of federal action, do something on gun control, right? And so we're working with Moms Demand Action in every town to, to kind of figure out what's the next step in Maryland and making sure that we can do something in, in regards to guns in our communities.
0: With medical debt, it is this huge issue and sadly growing because of our broken healthcare system. What do you think can be done at the state level in that to take some pressure off of families?
1: Yeah, what we're realizing is a lot of the state action kind of comes from the lawsuit side, right? So we can put regulations in place that say that big insurance companies and hospitals don't have the ability to sue when it comes to medical debt, right? We can also ensure that the assets that are claimed under medical debt also are are revisited, right? We're realizing black and brown families are losing their homes because, you know, that is the biggest asset for them when it comes to debt of any kind, but especially in medical debt. And so we're taking the next few months and working with Economic Action Maryland to to figure out what actually is the best role and approach, but also more importantly, what can get passed in Maryland, right? I said earlier, we have a big tent Democratic Party, and I know this is one of the issues that affect all of our constituents, but we've got to figure out how to go in the right direction and and be a a model for the nation when it comes to medical debt.
0: What's your advice for somebody who maybe runs an upstart campaign, finds himself either on a city council or in the state legislature for figuring out where the opportunities are, where the biggest barriers will be, how to get around them. If someone wants to get up that learning curve faster, what's your advice?
1: It's kind of three things. One, I think pick somebody who you admire that could be on the national level, on the local level, on the state level, and kind of see what they did, right? I I tended, you know, when I got onto the city council I kind of looked back at people like Javier Becerra and said, how how did he handle the struggles in the in the legislature? Right. How did he handle the struggles in Congress and kind of modeled a lot of my working with colleagues based off of what I saw him do? I think number two though is be willing to listen. Right. And I think that's oftentimes hard in in this very polarizing environment that we have, right? But Learning to listen to others that are coming to the table. And they may totally disagree with the policy idea that you have, totally may disagree on the direction that you're taking. But having open ears, I find, allows for bipartisanship and cooperation, especially even within your own party. And the third thing is trust your gut, right? We kind of all get into these elective offices and rightfully so, like anyone else, we second guess if this policy is the best for our community, we second guess if this is the right direction, we second guess if this is going to pass. And I think trusting your gut is, is kind of like a, a core function that is critically important. And the last thing I'll say, we're told when we come to Annapolis, don't fall in love with your bill, right? Don't fall <laughs> in love with the idea because you never know where this thing is going to go, right? I actually think the opposite. I think you should fall in love with the idea. I think you should fall in love with the prospect of this. I think it's going to make you a better champion for that bill and, and for that issue that you're pushing.
0: You've worked at the federal level, and then you've now served at the state and local level. Are the systems different? And for those who may be thinking about running for office, what do they need to know about those different levels of government and where the, the levers of power may be?
1: It's night and day, I will say that. And it's night and day, unfortunately, because of congressional inaction, right? And it also depends on where you live right? So in Maryland, the one thing I found extremely, you know, just coming from federal government experience and coming from the Congress, what I found really shocking in Maryland was that there was a lot of bipartisanship, right? I know that sounds kind of cliche and 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 funny, right? Especially with a supermajority in the House and the Senate in Maryland. But we truly listen to Republicans. We truly give them the opportunity to express their viewpoint and if the roles were flipped in Congress, right, and there was a super majority of Democrats, I feel like we would see a lot of steamrolling. And we really don't. We really work with them closely, especially in the committee process. And I found that to be truly actually like a rewarding experience because you get bills passed and you get them passed in this bipartisan manner and folks are both happy in both parties for a lot of bills, obviously not for the majority, but for, for a lot of key bills that we do. On the national level, there's just this polarization has taken over, right? And so unfortunately in Congress, when you're in the minority, you're truly in the minority, right? You just do not get to do many things. And so I found the state experience to be a little bit better, but I've also realized how important it is to make sure that we have leaders in Congress as well who are prepared to actually reach across the aisle and get things done, right? Who are, are willing to take the Maryland model and say, hey, we may be in the majority, but we want to have a holistic approach as we look at solving some of the biggest issues that our country faces.
0: And what did you learn at the local level?
1: That the issues are probably the most important. They are the issues that instantaneously will affect people's lives, right? The pothole on the side of the road that has been bothering folks, and maybe the reason why someone's car is in the shop, right? And the reason why they're racking up more debt, right? That's an instantaneous problem. Making sure that code is up to standard in neighborhoods so that people's property values aren't going down. That's something instantaneous. We also on the local level have control of our police department, right? We just went through this multi-year process as a, as a country talking about criminal justice reform and policing. And a lot of the things that we can do, we can do on the local level, right? We renegotiated the police union contract when I was in the city of Bowie, right? And had that open, honest conversation about what we expect and the standards that we have for police officers. So local government arguably in my view is the most important And it also has the quickest impact on a constituent, right? We've passed this bill in Maryland in regards to college mental health, but it's going to take many years for us to really kind of get that fully implemented in every single college throughout the state, right? Whereas the minute we change policies in the city, whether it's regarding some budget language for for making more jobs, or it's a bill that I passed when I was on the city council to ban plastic, that kind of stuff is, is felt instantaneously on the local level.
0: I want to talk a little bit about your commitment to the environment. It runs through all of the legislation that you pushed. Where have you seen successes? Where do you think there's still opportunities for reducing plastics and addressing climate change and other other opportunities?
1: It's a great question, Ryan. It was, it was the first thing that actually I did as a student leader. It's probably the reason why I, I feel so comfortable in the environmental space, right? As a student leader, I led the effort in Maryland back in 2016 to ensure that the university system of Maryland divested from fossil fuel investments, right? And we became the second state system in the country to do that, and the first being one of the ones out in California. There is so much progress we can make on on climate change, and I believe that We're the first generation that are feeling the effects of climate change. And frankly, we're going to be the last generation to do anything about it. Right. So I take it very seriously, especially from a public policy angle. Next session, I'm going to be introducing a bill that really tries to push for the electrification of all buildings. Right. And we've been looking at California and New York as examples of, of states that have taken this on. But we're going to try to get this done in Maryland. We had that conversation in Maryland in 2017 in the Climate Solutions Now Act. And unfortunately, it got stripped from the bill because a lot of businesses were concerned about the demolition of their buildings and rebuilding them back as electric. And so we're going to take a different approach, right? We're going to try to incentivize businesses to move towards electrification even before the 2035 deadline. But more importantly, we're going to say that, look, if you don't want to do it, and if you, if you don't do it, now it's going to be an expensive thing, right? We're going to make it an economic issue for big corporations who don't want to really take climate change really seriously. I've
0: struck that you've been busy <laughs> running these upstart campaigns, serving elected office, because Maryland is a part-time legislature holding down a full-time job. How do you balance the various commitments in your life and then also think about next steps?
1: Yeah, I, I try not to think about next steps, the old saying that you make plans and God laughs, right? I try to figure out in that moment, am I doing my best to serve the greatest amount of people in Maryland and throughout the state and throughout the country? For example, I jumped into the state house race about a week before the filing deadline, right? So I, I, I'm not good at making <laughs> next step plans, as is noted by the past. But, you know, Ryan, none of this feels like work to me. All right, I, I know it sounds kind of cliche to say, but I don't find that this is hard work in the sense of I feel fatigued every day. Right. There's a lot of things we have to do. Right. And there's a lot of work. And sometimes it can be even emotionally crushing to see things not get done. Right. Because, you know, the effects and the long term effects but it doesn't feel like work to me, right? I, I love the policy aspect. I love interacting with my colleagues and constituents. And so I'm fortunate in the sense that I, I get to wake up every day and, and and do something that I love. Finally,
0: I guess, make a pitch if I have a little bit of time to travel, or maybe I'm looking for a new place to go. Why Maryland? Why Bowie, Maryland?
1: Yeah. So it's a utopia right <laughs> i i often joke that prince george's county is the modern day wakanda right it is this extremely amazing african american community that embraces diversity of all sorts right it is this place that if you want rural, you can live in a rural part of our uh, of our county. If you want that suburban feel, you can live in Bowie, Maryland and have that suburban feel, right? If you want to be in more of a city type of environment, you can live in the northern part of the county in Hyattsville, where every single day you're seeing new development and more housing units come online. But you're also seeing an arts district that is thriving, right? We truly are, I think, especially in Prince George's County. America in miniature, right? From the rural aspect to the city aspect. So it is a great place to live. And frankly, look, we have our challenges. But the one thing I am impressed by, especially after traveling the country so often, is that in Maryland and in Prince George's County specifically, our leaders are all on the same page. We understand what the mission is and what the goal is, right? We may disagree on how we get there and how fast we need to get there, but we are on the same page. And and that's something that is not often seen across the country.
0: In other words, you all can agree on facts (laughs) and values, which is definitely not the case in so many places. Well, I want to thank you for being part of New Deal. We're excited to have you join the organization, and we're excited to see what you get done in Maryland and beyond.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it, Ryan.
0: Thank you. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders Podcast. Thanks to the team at New Deal for producing this episode. We encourage you to bring honor to public service. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars are used in the making of this podcast.